0: This morning I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7, verses 34 and 35. Just a couple verses there before we really launch into the series next week, looking at the meals of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. And what we see is He is gathered around a table over and over again with a variety of peoples really bringing to bear... His grace. My prayer for us during the course of this series is that we would learn to eat and drink like Jesus. For the great goal of our faith is that we would dine with Him in His kingdom forever. If this is our goal, ought we learn today how to eat and drink like Jesus does? Now, as I think about Meals and how important it is to gather, I think, of Matt Hardy and how many meals I have shared with that brother. When I think of the Hardy family and how we, we like to say that the, the, the Hardys like, know how to party. Would love to go over to their house. Would love to have them over to ours and just enjoy some food together. I'll tell you, it's one of the reasons why I know that Matt Hardy makes for a good elder is that he has a true joy in the Lord that permeates the whole of his household. And uh, one of the things that Matt and I have come to say to each other uh, when we are fin- wrapping up a, a night of hanging out and, or lunch or sometime when he comes over for a sermon primer and we enjoy a meal as we're talking about the message for the coming week, we'll often say, well, till we meet, till we eat again, he'll say. And it's true. <laughs> that's, that's probably what we're going to be doing the next time we get together. Eating is so important and some sweet things happen around those meal tables. You can probably remember, many of you, how important it was when you were in school. Like, you know, around the elementary school table or middle school or high school. You'd sit down. You've got your tray with that rectangular pizza thing on it. And and you sit down on that first day of school and you're just not sure. You're not sure who's going to come and sit down next to you. And you knew how important it was when that first person finally came by and took a seat there. How important it is when we find someone to to dine with. If you can call sitting in a cafeteria like this dining, I suppose. Now this morning, as I was thinking about that reality, I realized I have to make a truly tragic confession. Um, In my lunchroom in elementary school I was assigned to seat uh, to sit with seven other elementary school students and I think it was maybe third grade or so um, one of those kids that was at my table her name was Charity and she didn't fit in very well with the other kids she was often picked on and to be honest as my mom and I spent time in later years thinking about those classrooms we, we observed she was really picked on by the teacher as well it wasn't a good situation And as we would sit there with charity among this table of eight, one of the kids at some point during the course of the lunch would inevitably at some point lift his hands in the air and say, whoever's touching the table loves charity, right? I mean, obviously, you know? And all of a sudden, all the kids' would hands would go up, and I was stuck there. I remember my conscience was stung over and over again when that would happen, and I couldn't lift my hands off the table. Now, before you think that there is really any virtue in that, I very quickly used my supposed faith as an escape. I would say, yeah, so I love charity, but only in God's way. How foolish. What I didn't know then, and I didn't realize until I got to college, is that the word charity is the word for Christian love. Charity is grace. Brothers and sisters, my love for charity was not in God's way. We're going to see that so quickly in the Scriptures this morning. If I loved charity as Christ loves charity, I would have stood up from my seat that was across from charity. I would have walked around the table, sat down next to her, and enjoyed eating and drinking With charity that day. Is this not what Christ has done in the Gospels? And is this not what Christ has done in the Gospel? Let's consider Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, verses 34 and 35. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Heavenly Father, something tells me we have much to confess. I know I've already tipped my hat. I have much to confess. I've, I've hunkered down. I've sat in place. I've made excuses. I've pretended to be religious while calling you a drunkard and a sinner. We have much to confess. Lord, I I believe this morning that we have much to realize. Lord, I pray that we would see who you actually are, see the way that you have actually walked, see the gospel that you have actually accomplished, see the table that you have actually set and having realized these things, because Your Word illumined them to us this morning, that our recollection of the whole of the Scriptures would call them to mind, then we would have something to confess, that You are the Lord, and You have come to dine with Your people. Thank You, Lord. Pray that would become our confession, even for those who are far off this morning, that You would work in hearts, and for those who claim to be near, to claim to have a seat at your table. Lord, I pray that you would do a transformative work to draw us actually near to your heart of grace for the people who are yet far off. Thank you, Lord. We trust you for this work that only you and your spirit in our presence can do. We pray this in your name. Amen. We're working through this series with, uh, a, to be honest, just a lot of help with from a book called A Meal with Jesus, a study of the meals of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke by Tim Chester that is available uh, at the guest table as well. If you'd like to pick up a copy, we'd ask for a donation of $10 if you have it. If you don't, please take it, enjoy it, read it with us together. It is a wonderfully helpful book, but what we will do is we aren't studying some book written by Tim Chester. We are joining Tim Chester in studying a book of Luke, a book written down for us that is profitable for us. And the first thing that we see in our text this morning in Luke chapter 7, verse 35, as we see there, 34, the son of man has come eating and drinking. This is the manner of his coming. Eating and drinking. Now the Son of Man, who are we talking about? The Son of Man is Jesus' favorite term for Himself. It refers back to Daniel chapter 7, where the Son of Man is, is given by the Ancient of Days. He's given a few things. He's given an everlasting dominion and glory and a kingdom that shall not be destroyed. All right, make note of that. What When Jesus uses the term Son of Man, He is claiming that, that He's that one, One sent by the Ancient of Days, and He's given an everlasting dominion and glory and a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. So, what is it that a people of the Messiah, a people who are awaiting the coming of the the Son of Man, what is a people like ourselves as we look at Christ who we know to be the Messiah, what do we expect to see when the Son of Man appears? Remember who He is. Glory, dominion, kingdom, Eternal. What do we expect to see? What will he do? What is Jesus going to do when he inaugurates a kingdom, right? Will he raise a mighty scepter? Better yet, will he rule with an iron fist? Will he establish a disciplined and fearsome army, right? That's what the Son of Man will do when he comes, right? Jesus answers that question right here. In the Scriptures, we have three places where Jesus explicitly goes out of His way to say why the Son of Man has come. All right? In two of those places, in Mark chapter 10.45 and Luke 19.10, He explains the why of His coming. He says in Mark 10.45 that He came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. And in Luke chapter 19 verse 10, he explains the why of his coming and he says that it is to seek and to save the lost. This is why his coming. Let, let us not lose sight of that fact that his dominion, his glory, his everlasting kingdom is one that is established because he's given his life as a ransom, not just because he dined with someone. All right. Let's not lose sight of that, but because he saved a people. And he's heralding that in these meals that we will see. We didn't expect him to serve. We expected him to conquer. No one no one expected the third thing that Jesus has to say, though. In Jesus, in our text this morning, he says not just the why of his coming, he explains his great strategy. He explains how he is going to go about heralding the good news. He says, the how of his coming is the Son of Man comes eating and drinking. The mission of Jesus is to give His life, to seek and save the lost. Well, We discover in the Gospels exactly what Jesus means by the mission when we see Him lay down His life on the cross. This is His mission. This is His purpose. He is coming to lay down His life in the place of sinners who deserve the cross that He dies on, but He dies in their place that if they confess Him, believe in Him, repent of their sin and turn to him, they receive grace and forgiveness. So that when he takes up his life again in resurrection, all who have placed their faith in him are not only forgiven, but enter into his everlasting kingdom. This is the mission and the why of Jesus coming. But how did he go about the proclamation of that good news? We have the how and the when and the where of his mission. And it goes something like this. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. I think you get the point. The point that there is something that happens around the table that Jesus uses to bring to us news of a kingdom. Something very functional, something very tangible that happens around the table of Jesus to bring news of a kingdom. So what I want to do is I want to take a second to just step back and hold the Scriptures up and and think my way through. As I do so, I realize that each one of us are in a different place of our awareness of what is even in this Word. Some people had a hard time finding Luke this morning, but we're glad that you're there. And some of you know how the story begins. You remember how it begins in a a garden. You remember that from Sunday school. You know how it ends. It ends with a great feast. The table in the Scriptures. It begins with the first gift in the garden is a garden full of food, right? The very first command. Some of you have already skipped to the end of it. But you skipped to the beginning of it. The very first command given to the people newly made in his abundant garden is you may surely eat of every tree in the garden. You get that? It is a, an abundant grace filled command that comes before the comma that we look at when we, by the time we really see it disobeyed in Genesis chapter three. You may surely eat of every tree in the garden. Really? What a gift. And it's in this same garden that the first sin of taking food in pride and disobedience. And that work and taking grabbing hold of the food that was prohibited them. Did they take the food with thanksgiving? Did they offer grace? Did they cry out to the Lord and say, Oh, Lord, thank you for this good gift that you've prohibited from us when you've provided an entire garden for us i'm reminded of the role of thanksgiving as it relates to food they take hold of the food outside of the way of as abundant provision the abundant provision of the lord then we skip forward a little bit and we see worship at the temple what's worship at the temple look like it looks like food it looks like festival it looks like Fellowship, and these things are always linked together. Food and festival and fellowship of the people of God, intimately linked throughout the whole of the Scriptures, even the way that God established that He deemed fit to worship Him. There's a whole portion of the law that involves what to eat and how to eat it. Does God care about food? Does God care about the way that we we dine? To care about our meal, our table, the great promise of the old testament don 't miss this the great promise we we spiritualize and don 't see how on the ground the promises of God are. The promise of the Old Testament was a land what flowing milk and honey <laughs> it 's supposed to literally wet your appetites that want that that sounds. Tasty! Sounds good! Right? Then we look at the sacrament that the Lord has given us. A command to eat and drink and so participate in the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 10.16. The most visual and participatory moment in our celebration service is a meal. And that's not by our design. We didn't come up with that idea. In fact, I'm not even sure that we we participated in to the degree that the Lord would have us. That that this is even just a symbolic meal. That we would go and dine with one another and realize the table that has been set is, is really a reminder of the provision that we have in Christ. The promise of the Gospel expands on the promise in the Old Testament. A promise of abundance by offering a great gathering of people in Luke 13, 29. Literally reclining at table with God. That's the great promise of the New Testament. That is the end that we are going toward. It's land filled with milk and honey. That's nothing. How about dining at God's table? Reclining. Reclining. And dining. So it's, it's peace and rest and provision in the presence of God. The Son of Man comes eating and drinking. That's good news. He's come to participate with us and to fellowship with us, to meet with us that we might meet with Him. Why does the Son of Man come eating? Because according to the plan of God for His kingdom and His people, And throughout the whole history of redemption, that plan is a plan of eating and drinking around a table together. It's the whole purpose from, from creation to salvation. This is the how of the people of God. You see, table isn't about food. The table is about the grace of fellowship. You notice, I talked about that rectangular pizza I could have done without it. Right. But as we ate our rectangular pizzas together, how sweet the meal would have been if I could have sat next to Charity. The the meal table is not about the food that is set. It's about the fellowship that takes place around that table. 1 Corinthians 10:31. Beautiful passage within the flow of an argument that the apostle Paul is making there. In it, he says this, 1 Corinthians 10.31, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Intentionally eating to the glory of God. But notice how intentionally eating to the glory of God trains us to live lives that are lived to the glory of God. What if we had three times every single day set aside to train us for how to live our lives? I mean, think about it. A moment to, to sit down and sit to whatever food happens to be in front of you and whatever fellowship the Lord has placed around you and give thanks three times a day. Say, oh God, your abundant provision of this moment and this fellowship and this opportunity. Thank you for this food. Does that not train us when we do that at 7 in the morning for what our 8, 9, 10, and 11 will look like? Intentionally eating to the glory of God trains us to live lives to the glory of God. To dine at the table of the Lord is the very purpose for which we we're made and our eating together prepares us for that reality. There's a song that I listened to over and over again this morning. I probably listened to it seven times. It's by Soma Music. It's called King of the Ball. All right. It goes like this. Gather round for the feast, all creation, man and beast. At the center of it all sits the king of the ball. Play the trumpets and the melodies. Bang the drums and your tambourines, break the bread and pour the wine, drink it in, have a good time. Oh, what a party. Oh, what a feast. As I wrote that down in my notes last night I was, or, and this morning, and I, was, I wrestled with it, I have to be honest. I love I love those lines. If you listen to the song, the, the guitars and the drums and some of the r- just raucousness that you hear as the parties happening in the background of the song, it's, it's emotive. There's a line at the end of it. It says, oh, what a party, oh, what a feast, a beautiful circus of crazies and freaks. I left it out. Confession number two. I was a little bit ashamed. I was wondering, what would you think if your pastor described the, the party around the meal table as a beautiful circus of crazies and freaks? And then, I, and then I remembered, even as I was about five minutes from leaving the door this morning, I, I remembered the way that they, they looked at what Jesus was doing, and it, and it seems to not be an, a false accusation. Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus is not a glutton and a drunkard. We know this for sure. He is not a sinner. We know that he does not get drunk with wine, commanded in the Scriptures and reiterated in the New Testament. But we know that he dined with tax collectors and sinners, and we know that he dined in such a way that he looked like he was participating with them. That He was with them in the the glorious meal and the feast that was taking there. We know that He heralded the good news as He went. The Scriptures bear witness to this. It's not just a party. It's a party unto the Lord that the Lord is having there. And who was gathered? Everybody that looked at it thought it looked like a beautiful circus of crazies and freaks. Why are we ashamed of that? I look around Cross Point Coast, and I think one of the reasons why I might be ashamed of that is, I don't want to call you a name this morning. (laughs) Are we really crazies and freaks? Oh, I can't tell you how many times I feel like I don't belong at the table. I feel just a little crazy. I feel a little, just a little odd. And, and I look at the way I've lived my life, and I feel like I just don't belong really much of, of anywhere. And then as I have conversations with people as a friend and as a pastor and as a neighbor, I begin to realize that seems to be our story together. That what the Lord is doing is He is make taking a people who are crazies and freaks. <laughs> and He's making a table. And we party like that because we've been we never had food like this before. We've been never been lavished like grace before and, and invited to dine in a place like that before. It sounds raucous. It sounds like a, a circus when the people of God get together and realize exactly what's really going on. Luke chapter 13, verse 29 again. The end of salvation is reclining at the table of God. There's a link here. There's a link between the table and grace. Food and grace are are linked together because both food and grace are about fellowship. It's about sitting down together. It's about reclining together. Food and grace are about provision, isn't it? When you sit down, you say, thank you, Lord, for what you have provided for us to eat. Thank you for about what we're about to partake in and for those who prepared it, we'll say. And then we remember grace and we remember that grace is a provision, that we bring nothing to the table. It has been set for us and it's abundant. And food and grace are about Hospitality. We bring nothing to the table, and we don't belong there. But instead, strangers, crazies, and freaks have been welcomed and brought in to a household, not only to stand in the door and ask for a handout, but to dine at the table, to recline with God. I'll tell you what. As I look at the words provision and hospitality and grace and fellowship, the word that comes to my mind is family, isn't it? A household, a family, together around a table. Isn't that what God has, has done in taking those who were far off, whose father was the devil and ran after sin and disobedience? And through His work on the cross that he is about to perform even as he's dining with sinners and tax collectors. He's calling them into the family by means of what he would soon accomplish. There is something, though, that we can miss. We can metaphorize this again. We can spiritualize this. We can make this just a religious reality as we talk about a table and provision and fellowship. But there is a substantive nature to food and grace. The table takes this beautiful, theological, doctrinal reality of grace and gives it a tangible substance and a physical reality right here, right now. Peter Lightheart, he says this, For Jesus, feast was not just a metaphor for the kingdom. As Jesus announced the feast of the kingdom, He also brought it into reality through His own feasting. To feast with Jesus was not to be told about a distant hope. To feast with Jesus was to recline at the table with God. you get that? When we talk about the King of the Feast, we're talking about Jesus, reclining at a table, as we'll see in a house with Matthew, in a house with Nicodemus, in a house with a, a sinner known as a woman of the city, washing his feet. And we're talking about the king of the feast dining in the midst of the table. To feast with Jesus is to feast with God. What Jesus is announcing as he went about eating and drinking is that the gospel does not merely create a collection of individual disciples who wait for heaven. That's how we tend to think about things when we when we treat salvation as simply something that happens in here or happens in here, but doesn't happen around a table, something substantive, that's something that creates a new behavior of the people of God, a new actual fellowship. The gospel isn't merely that collection of disconnected people waiting on heaven while doing super spiritual things, super religious stuff until the king returns. The gospel creates a people who have been invited into the very mission of God. We've been invited to dine like Jesus dined. And he says that he'd be with us even to the end of the age. And it just so happens that while he's going about heralding the gospel of the kingdom throughout the book of Luke and the other gospels, he's dining with sinners. Don't miss that. He makes an intentional effort to invite himself into these households. Friends, this is the super spiritual behavior of the heralds of the kingdom of God. You want to be super spiritual? Have breakfast, have lunch, and have Dinner. And in doing so, invite your neighbors. Invite those who are far off and near to dine at your table. As a people of grace, our tables become real demonstrations that we have an eternal hope. We believe that the Lord has made provision. We believe that the Lord has opened up to us hospitality. We believe that the Lord has brought us into fellowship and made of us a family. So I have a question for you. Can you tell me about your table? Could you journal for me and tell me just a a bit about what your table looks like? More importantly, this isn't about telling me, right? It's about seeing for yourself what your table actually looks like. What do your meals look like? We all have one. We all have a table. You might say, I'm not much of a cook. I'm a bit of an introvert. So am I. I don't have much space, you might say. And yet, every one of us manages to eat somehow. Isn't that interesting? What if there was someone else there with us, by invitation or by going? One of the greatest gifts that anyone in this church has given our family came from a high school student at the time named Ricky Morehouse. He invited my oldest son to, to simply go with him and have a meal with him. And then he did it again, and he kept inviting him, and he, and now my second son, is now joining my oldest son and going and having those meals at Chipotle and Burger 21. I'll be honest, I don't know why you're going to Burger 21 when you have a five guys, but it's fine. Keep going, it's a table. <laughs> Go to these places and we enjoy fellowship together. And it all began with a simple invitation by a high school student at the time. Your table might be Chipotle. Your table might be Burger 21. Your table might be on a porch by a Weber grill. Your table might be in a dining room because you're skilled like that. Your table might be in a dorm room around a hot pot. i tell you, some of my sweetest fellowship has happened right there. It's macaroni and cheese. It used to be 25 cents when I was in college. I don't think it's true anymore. All right. Cross Point Coast does not have a detailed strategy of ministry programs by which we will take Brevard County for Christ. And this is what's happening. Christ has a dominion. He has a glory. He has an eternal kingdom. He will take Brevard County. And we have been invited into that mission. But our grand strategy really doesn't look all that grand when you look at it. The way of our ministry is the way that Christ went about His proclamation. Our ministry is a practical demonstration that we believe in the way of Christ's kingdom. May it be said of us simply, they came eating and drinking. They were friends of sinners and tax collectors. How will this be so? How will we be accused of this? Because we make our way around the table and sit down with the downcast and rejected in Christian charity. And we confess when we have not done so. My prayer is that the wisdom of hospitality may be found as we take delight in Christ. That we take delight in the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus from the first command at creation to the final command as we recline at table, as we have fellowship together with our God, and that our neighbors, as we delight in Christ and as our neighbors are brought into that fellowship, they too will hear, hear with our words the proclamation of the gospel among one another and to them, and so come to delight in Christ themselves. Let me give you a little illustration before we close. At cross point, we don't think of our ministry as a mess hall. We don't think of our, our ministry as a buffet table. Now, what takes place in an elementary school cafeteria? All right, I get it. For about an hour and a half per week. But what is our ministry like? Is it a mess hall? Is it a buffet table? Our ministry isn't efficient. Our ministry here is not institutionalized like a mess hall. Neither is it a series of buffet programs individually catered to consumeristic wants of the individuals in our community that are so already separated from one another that our ministries just further affirm that that is the way of the kingdom of God. It's not a buffet set of programs, it's a long, slow meal that lasts into the evening and moves into the living room and finishes with coffee and conversation it's a place where we might actually be called friends friends with those with whom we have dined and among whom we've ministered we ought to look like a people eating and drinking with saints and sinners at the same time literally i feel like over and over again I had to keep telling myself don't over spiritualize this this is not only a metaphor it's a beautiful metaphor because anything that we enjoy here is only a taste of what we will enjoy there but it's more than a metaphor it's real it's actually practicing hospitality actually expending our meal table with grace and as we do so, we will see our tables as, as little embodied microcosms of the kingdom of God as the gospel is at work, as the spirit is present, as we dine in the name of our saviors, of our saver and savior. Our tables will become on the foundation of the gospel, enacted and enjoyed hope, grace. So I want to offer an invitation to dine. In a moment, we're going to take Communion. For those who know and believe in Jesus Christ, who have confessed their sins, received the grace of forgiveness, this table is open to you. And you know you need bring nothing to it but your hunger. That you would hunger and thirst for righteousness is your qualification. That if you have filled yourself up with some other thing by which you would come, friends, we are disqualified. But as a people in need, as a people repentant, and a people who expect to be met with grace, there is the qualification of faith. We come and remember, we come and we fellowship, we come and we dine, and then we go and we set the table again during the course of our week. A table that's inviting a friend or a neighbor or a coworker or a stranger to eat with, to pray for an opportunity and leverage the conversation to be a herald of the gospel. And for those who do not know or have not yet trusted in Jesus, perhaps, You don't think that you're worthy to dine with Jesus, to fellowship with a holy God. Perhaps you're still trying to pay your way by living a certain way that you have conceived of to clean yourself up a little bit, to look like you belong with the other people who are walking up. I'm telling you, it's just because you haven't noticed that they're crazies and freaks too. The only means of our approach is through the forgiveness that is offered up to us by the Christ who has set the table. And let us remember that the great provision is not bread and a cup, but his body and blood broken and shed for us. And so I call you to trust in the provision of Jesus, not in anything that you do to confess your sin and to repent and believe that Jesus has actually invited you to recline at his table. Practically and functionally, I want to leave you with this challenge. Joyce Rep has worked with the Connections team and others to put together uh, an opportunity. There's a, a, an element even of this opportunity that's like, ah, but I just, if we were doing this all the more, maybe we wouldn't need, even need this. But sometimes a special little party is fun. So we've arranged a special little party. We're calling it Salt Shakers. And uh, out in the, at the Connections table are six um Bags, and each one of those bags represents a meal that some household has promised to prepare this summer. And we would love it if the households who are gathered here this morning would fill out their name on, on one of the cards and drop it in one of those kinds of parties, fellowship with us this summer. Then we'll announce who it was that was throwing the party, intentionally trying to, to mix things up a little bit, try to look at it and say, what's a party that maybe I wouldn't even normally go to? Go fellowship with the people there. But I'll tell you, if we think that we've really done something neat, we're right. It's neat. It's fun. It's good. But it's not the whole of our mission. The purpose of the event is to shake us up a little bit. Is to remind us that we have a fellowship here that at one point in time was extended to us. That at one point in time, somebody got up, went around the table, and told us of grace and invitation to come. And so I invite you, use it as a reminder that that's just one night of a whole summer. And open up your home. Go to a place. Find someone to fellowship. And don't feel like you have to do something particularly special Don't make it a salt shaker event that time. Just make it a Weber grill or some mac and cheese. And in those places, we have found and we have seen in Christ that the Lord would herald good news of His gospel. Let's pray. Lord God, we are desperate for You. We are hungering. There there is no food for us except the Word that comes from You. There is no provision for us except that You set the table. There is no family that will endure except the family that is found in You. So Lord, I pray that You would cause us to believe that. That You would transform a heart that is still running from that. And that You would cause our households and our fellowships to increasingly look like that. And that we would be patient that only Jesus is Jesus. Only you are perfect. Only you are wise that your wisdom shows the fruit by its children. And that we would be patient as each one of us struggles to walk like you. That if we fail to receive an invitation, that we would wait or we would go. Lord, if the way that we party or something that is said sounds like something that a, a crazy and a freak would say, we would remember the grace of our God upon us. Lord, that your grace, repentance, your favor, and your abundant provision would shower on us, be lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. We would pray that this would be the means by which Brevard County is invited to your table. Lord, make it so, and and in such a way that it's obvious that it's the table of Jesus that we have been, been invited to. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your great, glorious dominion and kingdom name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.